Uh, Genesis 4, as we continue the story about Cain and his family. Uh, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujahel, and Mahujahel fathered Methushahel, and Methushahel fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other Zilhah. Adah bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again. And she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also was born a son, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is God's word. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Kids, you're dismissed to your class and students as well. Well, we're going to dig into this very fascinating little passage here in Genesis 4. Um, remember last week we looked at the, the story of Cain and Abel, and I tried to convince you, maybe unsuccessfully, maybe successfully, that the story was not just about murder or sibling rivalry, uh, but it's, also, it's mainly about worship, actually. That uh, the two brothers worshipped God, one was accepted, one wasn't, which is what led to the murder. And then, all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 26, which we read tonight, God makes provision in the place of Abel who died, another son who would lead people to worship God. And so this is all about like the fall and rise, or the, the downfall and the, and the eventual triumph of a people to worship God. Uh, well, tonight we see more about how God acts in a fallen world. Uh, right away, we see it. Two family lines are starting to get contrasted. To put it real simply, there's a bad family tree and a good family tree here starting to branch off, or maybe you say a bad branch and a good branch. Um, Cain, you know, begins to lead the bad branch. Uh, Abel, who led the good branch, dies, and so another branch has to grow up in its place, whose name was Seth. And then God takes that family and begins to work it out into the direction of people like Noah, Abraham, etc., etc. And so tonight we're going to talk about there's two ways that God is active in a fallen world. And both of them can go by the name grace. God is gracious to sinners. God is gracious to a world full of sin. But he's gracious in two pretty distinct ways, which we see in this chapter. 
Uh, theologians call them this. Common grace and special grace or saving grace. And those are my two points tonight. I want to try to help you see what common grace means and how it works and where we see it in the world and why it's important to see it. And then we'll, we'll end talking about special grace, which is usually in church when someone says grace, they mean this. Almost all the time when I talk about grace, I'm, I'm usually talking about saving grace, what we sing about when we say amazing grace. But there's other grace of God that's involved in the world. You see that clearly in Cain's bad family tree. All right, y'all ready to look at it? Uh, first of all, common grace. Did you notice beginning there in verse 8, or no, not verse 8, I'm all mixed up, verse 17, <laughs> where we began tonight. Um, you see two things happening in, family, in Cain's family tree. On the one hand, blessings, gifts are starting to emerge and be given to the family. On the other hand, sin continues to increase and get worse in the family. Even as the gifts are given, the sin gets worse. And in some ways, the gifts become a, a, a series of tools that Cain and his family use to make the sin worse. So let's look at this, because this has everything to do with what we call common grace. Uh, first of all, let's just notice some of the gifts that God gives to Cain and his family. And I'll, I'll give you the first one, and then that can then maybe tip you off to the other ones. The first one is this, Cain builds a city. Cain builds a city. Uh, it says in verse 17, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch, and he, Cain, that is Cain, built a city. And when he built it, he called the name of the city after his son. He called it the city of Enoch. Now, for smaller town or country people like us, or whatever we want to call ourselves, some, maybe, some of you may be more suburban or whatever, um, we tend to think of cities as bad things, or, or at least only marginally good things. Uh, but think, though, for a minute about all the benefits of a city, especially if you go back to this time when there was no city. Cain developed the very first city. What would a city bring to the human race that they would not have had if they had not built a city? Trade. All right, keep it coming. Socializing, yeah. Safety. Safety. Yeah, most ancient cities were built in the following way. A bunch of people live in an area, you build a wall around those people. You know, and the wall becomes sort of the city uh, protection system, you know. You, you appoint guards and lookouts on the wall to make sure no bad guys are coming. What else? Central supplies. Central supplies. What's that? Oh, okay. <laughs> commerce, okay. <laughs> yeah, commerce. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, medical needs. Uh, anytime you get people together, which you begin to see in the, as the list goes on, when you get people together in a concentrated place, more ideas come out, more some creativity sparks. One person's creativity sparks another, and things can get better, can, can improve. Uh, for example... What are some of the other benefits or gifts that Cain's family enjoys after he makes the city? Lots of children. Music. music. Did you notice that? The gift of music. 
Yeah, tools, or um, you may even say weapons, because the two materials that it lists there that he made things out of were both tools and weaponry. Uh, the materials of, was it bronze and iron? Yeah, bronze and iron. Um, what else? You're missing one. Yeah. That's right. Animal husbandry. <laughs> if you want to use a fancy word. Yeah, the, the ability to raise livestock. I mean, up to this point, Adam and Eve had been primarily gardeners. You know, tilling and planting and reaping in that way. That was God's original job. But here they start to transition into more of a of a, uh, it seems like a more of a nomadic um, herding type of lifestyle where he has tents that you take up and down and move from one place to another. Uh, that, of course, has lots of advantages to it. It provides a whole lot of things. Uh, what, does a, um, what does a herd of livestock, no matter what kind of livestock it is, what all does it provide to people? <laughs> Food, clothes, drink, transportation. They are themselves tools. Uh, used. Yeah, clothing. Warmth, because it can be some pretty warm clothing. Uh, style, because it can be stylish clothes. I mean, I mean, literally, there's so many things that come from these four. It's almost like uh, Moses is saying, look, everything that makes civilization, civilization came through the line of Cain. Isn't that interesting? And yet, in the middle of that, Cain and his family aren't getting any better spiritually. They're actually getting a good deal worse spiritually, which we'll see in just one second. But right now, let's just notice, God blesses even people who are not in a, in a good relationship with him. Common grace. That's what we mean by common grace. God is at work in the world, blessing human beings, blessing creation, in various ways, even where there is no personal relationship with him, or at least not a good one. Is that a good thing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Notice, let, let's notice the sin part, because I said there's increasing sin. How do you see the sin getting worse, even as they get more advanced? And more civilizational type gifts. How is sin worse? Yeah, notice. <laughs> uh, he got two wives. Uh, first time you read about that in the Bible. Will not be the last time you read about this. This is, becomes a phenomenon. Uh, people apparently look back to the example of, um, of uh, Lamech and they imitate him. And maybe even more as they have more than two wives. Uh, we learned already in the end of Genesis chapter 2, this was not God's plan for the human race. Uh, God said it very plainly. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Not hold fast to his wives. Right? And they shall become one flesh, two becoming one. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The, the original design for the marriage for the human marriage and the human family was to come from a single pair one male one female but here that's already starting to get wrecked um, 
the, the compromise of human sexuality and of marriage and family is not just a modern problem, in other words. You know, sometimes we, we think that, you know, but that's not true. The Bible makes it very clear that marriage, sexuality, family has been wrecked from the get-go. Whether it's talking about Adam and Eve and their breakdown of their relationship as they sinned, Cain and Abel, the brothers, one who kills the other, or here, a man going out and purposefully taking two wives at the same time. What's another indication that things are worse besides that? Bigamy, besides bigamy. What's that? More murder. In fact, murder even dumber, even dumber than Cain's murder. I mean, at least Cain murdered over worship. Right? I mean, at least it was about something important. But here, Lamech, uh, I'm not saying it was right, but it, at least, you know, it, he had a, it was about something that had some s- eternal significance. But here, Lamech says he killed a young man, which, by the way, that word means basically a teenager. This grown man kills a teenager. Why? He wounded me. He struck me. Remember what we said God had, he's already said a couple things about human life. One, he said that man was made in the image of God. Another thing he said was that God's own spirit was the breath that was breathed into man to give him life. And then yet another thing uh, is that um, the blood of Abel when he was murdered cried out to God from the ground for justice. So you can see from all those steps just how much value God places on human life. And here human life is being treated like trash. If you just wound me, if you look at me the wrong way, I'm going to kill you. There's no justice in that, right? It's not, a, it's not an eye for an eye kind of thing. This is a, a scratch for a chop. Very unbalanced. And yet, it's even worse. Because Lamech boasts about it which was a little different than Cain who at least tried to hide it Cain said what are you talking about my brother do I know where, am I supposed to know where he's at at least he was trying to cover because he was ashamed that he had killed his brother here Lamech's like writing a rap song about it or a country song or however you want to spin it uh, that those verses 23 and 24 are written you see like like poetry in the Bible because they are they have the rhyme of a poem he's singing a song about gunning down a teenager for, you know, running into him on the street. Things are bad in the world, in Cain's family, even though God is continuing to bless and bless and bless and bless. I think we can learn a very important lesson from this. Very important. Um, How important is it to know... Or how, let me ask it this way. How dangerous can it be to mistake the identity of someone? It could be not dangerous, right? It could be just funny and silly, but it could be really dangerous. Uh, we, I read this week of you know, the story over in uh, the war in Ukraine, how uh, Russian soldiers in some parts were dressing up like Ukrainian soldiers. So as not to be detected, uh, almost like the old Trojan horse, you know, method. Uh, 
And in that case, mistaken identity was very costly. That they did not recognize them as the enemy, but as a friend was very, very costly. And I believe if we understand this idea of common grace, we can avoid some of the common forms of mistaken identity that we as followers of Christ can make often in our lives. Let me explain. And to explain, i got to get into some more details about this, okay? Common grace has two, there are two basic activities that God is doing in common grace. Restraint and positively blessing. So you could call this the negative side of common grace and the positive side of common grace. On the negative side, God restrains people from doing all the evil that they would normally do were God not to restrain them. That's a gracious gift of God. When God stops someone through circumstances or in some way from murdering, common grace, blessing. It doesn't matter how it happens. Uh, even if the person is not really reformed inside, even if they would still kill if they had the opportunity, the fact that they don't any longer have the opportunity is a gift of God. That's restraint. There are other examples that we could give. But blessing is the positive side, which is what we see mostly in this passage. God is taking this family that's far away from him, that's getting worse and worse, and yet he's blessing them with livestock, children, um, musical instruments, uh, you know, instruments of bronze and iron, you know, tools, weapons, all those kinds of things are being developed in this extremely wicked family. That's blessing alongside of restraint. That's what common grace, you know, God is always doing both of these things all the time in the world, all around you. Let's stop for a minute. How do you see these two things playing out today? Any examples? Where do you see God restraining? Where do you see him blessing the world? Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there are. That's a good example because there definitely are people who would. At least they say they would, you know, and they, they haven't. So it's a blessing. What else? Yeah, that's good. So God can even use um, human, other humans to restrain us from sin, which is a blessing. Right. Yes. The world is not as bad as it could be. Y'all agree with that statement? It could be worse. In fact, as we read in Genesis, the next few chapters, we're going to see that at one point in history, God let it go to its utter worst nature. You know, there was only one family left, Noah, eventually. So this story is trending in this direction, but right now we live in a world that has... A lot of examples of how it's not as bad as it could be. And that's in part because God's restraining evil, but it's also in part because God has enriched life with blessing. What are some good blessings that you see around you that aren't, that are just there, even irrespective of whether someone's a believer or not? Nature. 
Food? What'd you say? Food. Food, yeah. Medicine. Medicine. Oh, yeah, medicine. And, uh, you know, not everybody who helped develop modern medicine was a believer. (laughs) It's not a gift of saving grace. Uh, Modern medicine won't take you to heaven. Uh, Not taking it won't send you to hell. But it is a marvelous blessing given to the human race. Right? Yes. (laughs) Praise the Lord, right? Uh, We would not live in Florida comfortably were it not for that great blessing. Yeah. Lots of blessings. Lots of blessings. Uh, Those blessings really kind of fall out in three broad categories. Think about concentric circles. Uh, The blessings come universally. God blesses... um, Weather systems, uh, he blesses uh, natural environments, animals, um, seasons, crops, you know. General blessings. God blesses all human beings because they're human beings. And God loves human beings. And so he's showering his blessings on the human race in particular. Uh, But then uh, there's even a, a form of common grace that comes within the covenant sphere. And we're going to begin to see that in just a minute with um, the family of Seth. And what we mean by this is, um, you can see a great example of this, I think, in American history. Uh, When Christian ideas or Christian truths are sort of like a canopy over a society or a nation, when they're widely accepted, at least in part, that nation has more blessing and more it usually, there's just, it's just better. Life's just better in a society that recognizes God's moral standards and his gracious purposes. Even if, I mean, listen, you know, in America, there's never been a time where 100% of people were Christians, right? Not, not even close. Um, and it's not even as bad now as it once was. The statistics on church attendance around the colonial period are much worse than they are today. Now, today's are much worse than they were in the 50s. The 1950s are kind of the high watermark of American church history, (laughs) just simply in terms of how many people's in the seat on Sunday. Um, But in the colonial period, fewer people went to church regularly than do today. And most people who lived back then thought of America as kind of this wild, untamable place that God needed to come and save because it was a bunch of wild people who didn't follow him and many people worked to that end there were many great revivals etc that's kind of a digression but when the when there's more and more people in a society in covenant relationship with God it has a collateral benefit upon everybody and that's another example of common grace Uh, these categories by the way come from John Calvin Uh, John Calvin observed these in the in the 1500s and summarize them. When we talk about grace, we're talking about not only saving grace, but we're talking about how God just blesses the creation. He blesses human beings in general. And there's a collateral overflow from the church out into society when the church is being what, what it's supposed to be. Make sense? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm getting us to a place, trust me. Why do you think God exercises common grace in the world? Why? Well, why not just let things get to be as bad as they could be and then save a few people over here? Like he did with Noah. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, because he's committed. Even the story of Noah teaches that. Because God could have, by the way, killed Noah too, right? <laughs> In fact, it says, we'll see this when we get to chapter 6, uh, it doesn't say Noah is a righteous man and therefore Noah found favor in the eyes of God. It actually reverses it. It says Noah found grace in the eyes of God and then Noah was a righteous man. So Noah was picked out from a wild and woolly bunch. Way worse than we see in the world today. A very, very bad time in history. Noah was picked out to be the, sort of the new Adam. Saved by God in order to continue on the human race. Uh, but God promised, listen to this, God promised after Noah was saved, after the flood, remember what God said? I will never again do what? Destroy the earth in a flood like this. I'll never do it again. Instead, from this time on, there will be seed time and harvest. There will be winter and then summer. Everything is going to continue in a regular clip. And God promises as he begins to work and develop in Noah's family, that he will always have a community of people who praise his name, as well as always have a steady stream of common grace running out to the humanity so we don't ever get to the point of the flood again. Pretty amazing. God has designs. God has goals in the world to glorify his name besides just the goal of saving people and taking them to heaven. God wants to vindicate his work as creator as well. And so he upholds his work of creation through the gifts of common grace. Um, another thing, when there's little common grace, there's also not a whole lot of room usually for special grace. Somebody help me. What do you think I mean by that? When there's little common grace at work in the world, there's usually little room for special grace to flourish. Can you think of how that might be? Right. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good. I didn't actually think about that angle, but that, that's a good angle, yeah. It's very true. Any other thoughts? Do I need to restate my question? Yeah. When common grace is at a low level, for example, in the days of Noah, right? Why is there not... Also, why is there also not very much room for special grace to spread and flourish? Right, yeah, yeah, when there's not restraint on evil or widespread blessing in humans, usually the community of people who are being collected by God to be his special people is also quite small. I mean, think about it. The whole world, Noah and his eight family members. That was all there was, you see? Now, I agree with what Clint's saying. The, I think what you were saying is the other way around, which is also true. Uh, sometimes the higher common grace is, the more proud and arrogant we get, you know, and start thinking, well, you know, we're the greatest thing since sliced bread, which also happened in American history. You can, I mean, in other histories, too, but you can see it in American history, I think, quite clearly. Uh, the blessings of Christianity and, and, and of morals uh, that accrued to the country uh, often led to very steep periods of decline spiritually because people got real 
comfortable. Yeah, in the USA. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in the United States, just like that. Yeah. Tower of Babel. Yeah, Tower of Babel was an example of high levels of common grace being shown to a group. They were building a city. The whole world was coming together, and they used it to try to be God rather than to worship God. And so God took away the common grace. He scattered them by making their languages divided. So he took away a blessing that would have by them been used for evil. Right? And so God is always doing that and, and in ways we can't even notice because he's, well, first of all, there's billions of people. So there's no way to trace this in exact, as an exact science. But God is always working to give and to take, to give and to take these blessings to serve the wider purpose of special grace. So one of the reasons for common grace is it provides, it provides the environment, either from the abundance of it or the lack of it, for people to be open to receiving his redeeming, saving grace. Right? Uh, the Bible says two things. It says, number one, the blessings of God are meant to lead us to repentance. So part of the common grace is that God wants us to repent because we're being showered with kindness. And it should make us feel like, I want to know that God. But on the flip side, the Bible also says when people have blessings, they tend to shut God off. And so the lack of common grace also, poverty also leads people to God. And so God, almost by using both kindness and severity, all around the world is drawing people to himself and to his son, which you see in this story. God is using this common grace to draw the family of Cain to himself, to draw other people to himself. Because we've got to assume the blessings that are being given here didn't stay long within that family. In fact, we know today, even to this day, we have benefited from the cultural foundations that God gave to Cain's family. We're still playing musical instruments, right? We're still dwelling in dwellings, and we're still benefiting from animal husbandry, if not personally participating in it. And we still use bronze and iron for various things plus many other things that we've discovered since. What a blessing. Make sense? Now, getting back to my original thought. I'm rambling a little bit tonight, but that's okay, right? Back to my original thought. It is very dangerous to not recognize who the enemy is and who the friend is in battle. When you don't properly understand common grace and special grace, you're at a risk of calling your friend your enemy and your enemy your friend. Sometimes Christians have made those kinds of leaps mistakenly. Uh, let me give you an example. It would be a controversial example, but why not? Why not? Uh, no doubt... The abuse of alcohol is a massive problem that human race has struggled with from the get-go. It is massive. It causes lots of issues, more than we can, relational, economic, you, you, you know all the issues that alcoholism and alcohol abuse causes. Sometimes Christians have jumped to, well, that means alcohol is of the devil. When the Bible says God gave to man wine to gladden his heart. 
And by wine, the Bible always means wine, not grape juice. Because they did not have grape juice until Welch's came up with the pasteurization technique. It was non-existent, right? It just became sour grapes, right? Or wine. What do you do? Now, now you may say, well, that's not a big deal. How, how is that a big deal? Well, maybe that one in, in itself isn't as big a deal. It's a small example of something that can be a big deal. Because I turned my, my friend into my enemy, but I let my enemy stay my friend. Alcoholism is not a problem of alcohol. Alcoholism is a problem of my inability to enjoy God's good gifts to his glory. And if I call the alcohol the enemy and myself, I'm still giving myself a pass that I'm just the victim of the substance. I've let, given myself a pass and thrown God's gift under the bus. Now, that's a small example. Help me. What's a bigger example? Think of it. Money. Money. Yes. Good. Well, we think of it a lot of times as a gift, as a blessing. Mm -hmm. Always. Like, if God has increased your wealth or done something, then God loves you and he's giving you something. That's not necessarily true. No. That's right. Yeah, nobody had more money than Cain's family, apparently, at this time, right? They had a lot of money, it looked like. Very industrious. But they weren't right with God. And yet, sometimes, you know, we, we've looked at money, and we've done the same thing with alcohol, right? Well, people are so bad at money. Greed is so easy, so money's bad. You know? You're calling your friend your enemy, and you're letting your enemy stay your friend. You know, it doesn't help our sanctification to pass our sin off on stuff. Right? The sin is within. The stuff is a gift. Now, it may be. It may very well be. I want to tell you, you. It may be that someone can't handle certain stuff in this life without, because their heart's just messed up on that thing. And it's better for them not to partake of the stuff that leads them astray. But don't blame it on the stuff. You know, t take, take the, the, the brunt of it, because that's where God's going to actually come into your life and do the work here. Right? Other examples. Music. Same thing. Um, you know, Cain's family started music. So you could look at this and say, look at there, music, I told you it was of the devil. They're over there playing lyres and guitars and pipes. That's terrible. Because they're evil people. And yet that's not the way it's presented here. In fact, the lyres and the pipes, you find those in the Psalms. Where the people of God take those and use them for the, for the glory of God throughout the Old Testament. Same thing today, you know. Has music been used for evil in the world? Most certainly. Uh, are there maybe types of music that you probably shouldn't partake of? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that's the case. Is music itself to blame for the evil that has sometimes come through it? No, it's a good gift of God. It's part of his common grace. The problem is with our use of it. You see what I mean? Uh, I think we, we tend to spend a lot of time on friendly fire <laughs> instead of shooting the right enemy. Uh, when we're trying to kill sin in our lives. 
Um, I know I've, I've done so. But we, we try to blame the circumstances around us rather than taking it ourselves and saying, God, you're going to have to change my heart. And that's what you came to do, Jesus. So praise the Lord. You came to change my heart so that I could become a person who has profound respect for God's gifts, whether they are natural or supernatural, whether they are common grace or special grace gifts, they're gifts. And it's, it's disrespectful to God not to respect those and not to be thankful for those. Thoughts? Slightly controversial, maybe, but any thoughts? Yes, exactly, yeah. It is, yeah. And that's what I'm saying. That, that, that is the part. That's where the work is. Um, we have to take aim at the idolatrous nature of our heart, not at the stuff. Well, you know, it's not the bronze and the iron and the pipes and the flutes and the... It's not those things. It's us. And our problem is we're always trying to turn God's gifts into God. Right? But we're trying to make his gifts things that are worthy of worship rather than things that we should worship God for and with, right? Using. Uh, that, that's, what, that's what the heart of sin really is. Um, the Bible doesn't teach a kind of like uh, mysticism where like the inner is good, the outer is bad, the body's dirty, the soul is good, and you should, you know, keep your soul clean from the bodily thing. You know, the Bible doesn't teach anything like that. The Bible says the person, body, and soul is meant to be good, but it's all bad, and all of it's going to get is getting redeemed in Christ, body and soul. You know, but but part of part of I think not understanding this has led some sectors of the church at different times to drawing wrong conclusions. Um, another great example that I didn't mention, um, I'll mention to you next week, and, and we'll also finish the, the very important bit about special grace next week. That's as far as we could get. The kids are back. Thank you all for being attentive. Uh, this is a, you know, a little bit more teachy tonight, right? A little less preachy, more teachy. But um, very important, I think, to, to notice how God is graciously blessing the world not just in the ordinary ways that we think about. We tend to think, I see it when someone's evangelized and they come to faith in Christ. There I see grace. But we don't sometimes think of the person getting medicine in the hospital. That's grace of God. You know, or the, the good meal with your family and friends. Grace of God. The, the restraint on evil in society. Grace of God. You know, we don't tend to think that way. And so we, we, uh, we don't thank God enough for many things that he does.